Greetings. You're listening to the 60th episode of the ABF Journal podcast. I'm Phil Neifer, Managing Editor of ABF Journal. The transition from the London Interbank Offered Rate, or LIBOR, has been in the works for quite a while, but we're reaching crunch time for lenders to move on to the Secured Overnight Financing Rate, otherwise known as SOFR, or some other such alternative rate. In this episode, I spoke with Daniel Ford of Thompson, Coburn, Hahn, and Hessen to clear up some of the misconceptions about the transition, to outline which lenders are well prepared for it, and to lay out a game plan for those who are not. Let's get to the call. Hi, Dan. How are you doing today? Uh, good morning, Phil. Thanks so much for being here today. And something we're going to talk about today is something I think a lot of our audience uh, knows about, understands, um, which is the LIBOR transition. Um, but for anyone who might not or isn't totally familiar with it, can you explain what that is and why it's happening? Yeah, absolutely. So as you know, most of your listener base will know that LIBOR is the rate that under that for the last 20 or 30 years has kind of underlied most financial contracts. And in the asset-based lending space, it is kind of the primary interest rate, underlying interest rate index that is used um, in, in those agreements. So coming out of the financial crisis back in you know, 2007, 2008, there were some concerns uh, uh, by the regulators about the robustness of LIBOR as a rate to be used in all these financial contracts. Um, it behaved you know, oddly during the financial crisis. There were, you know, because it's a rate that banks just quote to each other there were concerns about its robustness and ability to be manipulated. So they started um, investigating replacing LIBOR. And in 2014, they established um, what's called the ARC, the Alternative Reference Rate Committee, which really started in earnest to, to come up with a rate to um, replace LIBOR with something more robust and that you know um, the underlying market participants could have more confidence in. And that's, that's what brought us the, the, the ARC um, announced that SOFR, which is the secured overnight financing rate, would be kind of their preferred rate to replace um, SOFR. They announced that in 2017. So folks have kind of known this transition was coming for uh, a couple of years and have had you know, some, some lead time to know that that LIBOR was going, was going to go away. Right. And as much as there has been that lead time, there's definitely some groups that are more prepared for the transition and some that are, are less prepared. Um, who do you think falls into those separate buckets? You know, who is best set up for this, that they're ready to do this? It, it could happen tomorrow and they'd be able to go. And then who are some people or areas where you think there might be more work that needs to be done? Yeah, that's a, that, that's a, that's a great question. And, and obviously, I comment that question from just my market bias, seeing my individual clients and how they've they've reacted um, to this process, who was ready and who wasn't. I guess as, as a general matter, m- my my perception is that kind of our my larger market participants, large money center banks and larger you know regional banks, really you know they got involved with the arc. They either some of them were you know were members of the arc or just followed it closely and so as this as it became clear that we were moving away from LIBOR and that the, that we, that the likely replacement rate would be SOFR 
they were they were most ready um, to make that transition. Um, I, you know, it's it's really two, it's really a twofold transition. You know, I, I'm an attorney, and so I see it on the documentation side. But obviously, for all of our, all of my financial institution institution clients, this is a this is a large operational exercise as well that they have to be, you know track internally the interest rates that they're charging their customers. So, you know, the way I've seen it is that my, my Larger, larger banks seem to be more prepared than some of the smaller market participants who um, maybe waited longer and got, got um, you know, it's a, just harder for them to make these transitions, both from a documentation and an operational perspective. Right. And then why are some borrowers, um, particularly private equity firms, kind of adverse to this transition? I know this isn't a universally beloved uh, idea. I, I think it's it's change. And so, and some of it had to do, um, and, and I don't want to get super technical here, but one of the attractions of LIBOR to a large group of market participants was that it's what we call a term rate. Um, so when, when a borrower, the way most um, lenders use LIBOR is, you know, LIBOR gets quoted, you can pick one month LIBOR, three month LIBOR, six month LIBOR, and in some cases, 12, 12 month LIBOR, and the borrower can lock in an interest rate for what we call an interest period, whether it be, you know, one, three, six, um, or 12 months. And that, that ability to lock in an interest rate and know what your interest rate on your loan is going to be for that period had a lot, a lot of um, appeal um, to borrowers and particular sophisticated borrowers who kind of want to know what their interest expense is going to be over a period of time. When SOFR was first announced, it was not going to be what we call a term rate. So um, there was, and there was concern that whether, as to whether there would be, SOFR would be available as a term rate when the transition really began to commence um, at the beginning of this year in January, 2022. Thankfully, uh, SOFR, um, the ARC approved a term SOFR. Essentially, you, you, you know, you can now get, um, go on the CME website who, who is managing, um, administrating term SOFR and they quote, now quote SOFR for one, three and six months. And I think they're, they're already quoting 12 months, but I'm not, I'm not seeing that used in the market all that much. Uh, but, um, the, availability of a term SOFR, which was first announced um, kind of over the summer, um, was kind of the last barrier for, um, I think, borrowers uh, being willing to switch to, to SOFR. Uh, the other reason there was some resistance is I think there was just some, some concern initially that their borrowing costs were going to go up. Uh, because when, when SOFR was announced, because SOFR is a, uh, a risk-free rate, it is lower than LIBOR um, for, an equivalent, for an equivalent tenor. So uh, the, the ARC announced what are called spread adjustments, which were essentially, um, you know, when you quote it in SOFR, uh, it's a, it's a, you essentially add the spread adjustment to the rate to kind of equalize it with LIBOR. And what's sophisticated, and those were set kind of based on, I believe, on kind of the historical difference between LIBOR and SOFR over a certain number of years. Uh, 
But at the moment when the, the transition really began to commence at the end of the fourth quarter in 2021, kind of through the first quarter of 2022, the difference between LIBOR and SOFR is very narrow at the, at the moment. So I think the, some, push, some of the pushback also related to um, concerns about borrowing costs going up immediately if the ARC recommended spread adjustments were used. And I think, again, that has gone away as, as with anything else um, that we would negotiate with our, with our borrowers. You know, I have mostly a lender, a lender side practice. Uh, the sophisticated borrowers, you know, they're just negotiating so for spread adjustments, just like they negotiate everything else in their documents. And so they've gotten themselves comfortable that they, that they can get, them, get themselves to the same place in, from an all-in cost perspective, um, through negotiating either the SOFA rate, you know, the SOFA, the margins or the SOFA spread adjustments, and so I guess through the end of 2021 and into the first quarter of 2022, we've really seen um, all resistance to SOFA go away, and some of that is also just the, the regulatory environment um, has changed. As of kind of January 1, 2022, you can't do a new LIBOR-based loan. So your choices are you either agree to SOFR pricing or you have to agree to kind of uh, some, some other rate. And I think, um, so, you know, using term SOFR is still the most appealing rate to, to the most sophisticated borrowers. Yeah, and so it's good. I, I would assume that there ha is less uh, resistance to it now, but I'm sure there's still some misconceptions about SOFR versus LIBOR. Can you tell me about what some of those are, um, whether it be ones that lenders might have or and or borrowers? Um, yeah, you know, uh, I think I think there's just the, the the main resistance or misconception I, I've seen is about how to market. Uh, if you're, you know, I think I think the general perception was that most borrowers don't think a lot about the underlying index that that they're getting so if you get if you get a term sheet from a, you know you're, you're a borrower and you're looking for new financing and you get three term sheets and they were all LIBOR what 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 your average borrower is going to look at is they're just going to look at li the margin so you know a typical term sheet will say you know let's say it's LIBOR plus two and a half and so they can they can they can compare term sheets that way I, th I think um, you know I think the, the biggest the biggest concern now or or misconception is how how to how to mark in a in a you know as LIBOR goes away how do you market and how do you compare you know term sheets that may quote in different rates or may treat so for differently some 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 banks use so for plus an adjustment plus a margin and so I think I think the the biggest misconception was that using so for Puts you at a dis puts you at a disadvantage if you're going and if other folks were still quoting in LIBOR and again effect effective kind of January 2022 you can't market in um, you can't do a new so new LIBOR deal anyway so you know but I think I think the big the biggest mis you know the biggest concern now is that um, you know is there's we're you know we're moving towards I guess what I would call a multi-rate 
multi-rate universe because not everyone is using SOFR as a replacement to LiveWire. Right, and then you outlined some of the differences between the two before, but uh, what are some of the uh, benefits both to uh, lenders, specifically asset-based lenders, and then their borrowers? Well, well, I think that the the largest benefit that's been kind of articulated by by the regulators is that the SOFR is a much more robust rate that the market can have a lot more confidence in that when you know when the you know the Fed ultimately quotes the New York the Federal Reserve Bank of New York quotes SOFR and the number of underlying transactions that they use to kind of develop a SOFR rate is just far in excess of LIBOR, that that rate inherently has much more reliability um, that, you know, that the rate you're getting is truly, you know, a true, a true um, measure of, of um, you know, of the, of the, of that rate. Whereas LIBOR, I think, was a is a much more robust rate, much less, excuse me, much less robust rate that, um, was much more subject um, to man manipulation. So I think that that has um, a lot of benefit. Um, that has a lot of benefit to, to banks and their underlying um, customers. Uh, you know, I don't know that it's specifically, there are any specific benefits to, you know, asset-based lenders over other lenders. It's just, you know, um, I think, you know, the main, the main concern about SOFR that some banks are articulating is that, you know, unlike LIBOR, it's a uh, it's a risk-free rate. So some some financial institutions prefer, uh, you know, the the ARC hasn't has recommended so far, but there's no one there's no regulator telling clients that the telling financial institutions that they have to use so far. So some financial institutions are moving to other rates other than so far including rates like Bisbee and Ameribor that aren't risk-free rates like um, that aren't risk-free rates like SOFR so that they, 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 they think they better um, track those banks' costs of borrowing. And so they're fundamentally better bank rates for those banks. Um, I think that, the, you know, the risk of that, again, is that when, if you have banks marketing with different rates, it just, I think it can create some, some confusion in the marketplace, especially among borrowers. If someone sends them a term sheet with that is based on SOFR and another, another, another bank sends one that's Bisbee and another one sends a, a Meribor and someone else is using Prime, this, if we're, if we're operating in a multi-rate environment, um, that could really create some, some confusion. I guess what, what I've seen for the most part uh, you know, most of my clients just personally are using are using term SOFR, um, but you know there are clearly some large market participants who are using other rates. Yeah, and uh, I, I know we originally outlined uh, just talking about the SOFR versus LIBOR thing, but you bring up other rates. How how does a, a an organization choose to use one of those? Do you think that's something that is going to potentially grow as a trend or do you think it's something that's just kind of going to be short-lived and eventually so far will that, just dominate <laughs> that is that that's an excellent question um that i think i i think what's i think we are going to end up in a multi-rate environment um i think that term sofer is going to dominate the syndicated market it's just um 
I think a larger borrower, you know, whether that's cash flow or ABL, I think borrowers prefer the term rate and the and the um, certainty that that offers them o- over time. Um, and I think the market the market's going to prefer a single rate as opposed to m- multiple rates. It's a challenge operationally. Um, it's you know, it, and and I think term sofa is that rate. I think in kind of the smaller market where banks um, and financial institutions have more leverage over their customers to kind of dictate it, you may may see um, a multi a multi rate environment where you have certain institutions who prefer Bisbee or Maribor or some other rate. Um, I think the the one thing that could impact that is, you know, there has been, you know, the the chairman of the SEC has come out and questioned whether Bisbee is is as robust a rate as is appropriate, you know, has some of the same flaws, I guess, would be the as LIBOR, I think, was the concern that the chairman of the SEC expressed. Um, but there hasn't been, to my knowledge, there hasn't been any specific regulatory guidance that banks can't use rates other than SOFR. So I think the main, the main thing that could drive folks all, you know, to one particular rate, and I think that rate would be term SOFR, is that if they got specific regulatory guidance um, that they couldn't use any of these other rates. But for the time being, um, I think while, while there's clearly a preference for term SOFR, um, banks have flexibility to, try, to use these other rates um, until kind of they get uh, you know regular regulatory guidance that they can't. Right, and for some of these other rates, could you give us just a brief breakdown of, of what makes them different than SOFR and why some participants might be more interested in using them? Sure, you know, uh, again, most of my clients are using term SOFR. I candidly, so far, all of my clients are using term SOFR, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold myself out as a as an expert on the other rates. I, th- I think the main concern that I've heard articulated by some regional banks is, again, um, SOFR is a, um, a, a risk-free rate. So it is, um, it is you know, inherently lower than LIBOR that had um, some credit risk in it. So it doesn't really reflect the true cost of funds. SOFR doesn't really reflect the bank's true cost of funds when they borrow. And some of these other rates are more like LIBOR in that, in that respect. And so it allows them to kind of better track their cost of funds versus, you know, so um, as let's take, you know, Bisbee or Ameribor, I think it's more, I think there's a view among certain of those banks that I've heard it articulated that it's a better rate for them because it, it'll float more consistently with their cost of funds than SOFR does. Okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So regardless of uh, what uh, company's rate they're going to transition to is, um, for those still behind or stalling on the transition, I know you said that uh, most of it's been taking place uh, in the beginning part of this year. What steps do they need to take to to get on track? Uh, I'm, I'm hoping most people wouldn't be just starting from scratch, but can you take us through that? Yeah, it's it's really again. I really come at it, you know, as a as an attorney and really a deal lawyer. 
um, I really come at it from the from the documentation side, but there's really kind of a documentation side and, and an operational side. Um, since you know you need to update obviously all of your documentation to reflect that you're you're um, now documenting loans in in a rate other than LIBOR, whether you've ultimately chosen um, term SOFR or daily simple SOFR or Bisbee or Meribor or any other rate. There are, you obviously need to doc you know you, any you know, effective as of January 1, 2022, you can't do a LIBOR-based loan. So you, you need to have updated your documentation um, to reflect whatever new, new rate you're using. And operationally, you need to be able to implement, implement that rate and um, track and collect interest and, you know, and tell your borrowers how much they owe you using whatever new rate um, you've chosen. Uh, kind of the other piece of that is the regulatory guidance that, that most of our, our clients have gotten is that when you're doing um, post January 1, 2022, when you're doing any sort of material amendment and or modification to an existing loan, and most of our clients have interpreted that to mean if you're in, increasing your facility, if you're extending your maturity date, or doing some other material modification, you have to use that as an opportunity. If your if your prior loan was based on LIBOR, you have to do that. You have to switch to SOFR at that time. So you know, I can tell you, you know, we're spending a lot of time currently, you know, doing amendments to existing facilities to kind of convert them from LIBOR to SOFR. Because um, every time someone needs a line increase or a maturity extension. Most of our clients are using that as an opportunity to switch off LIBOR because you know LIBOR is fully going away in June of 2023, and you know most most financial institutions really have a huge backlog of you know of existing deals that they need to convert from you know uh, LIBOR to SOFR during that time. Right, and so there is that kind of deadline. Uh, looming um how based on what you've seen so far this year and and in the lead up to where we've gotten to today how smoothly do you think that transition is the transition ultimately is going to go um and how optimistic are you about that and sorry to add so many uh, layers to this question but what could improve your outlook on how it'll how it'll all go you know that, that, that's a good question if you had asked me in the fall how I thought it was going, I would have just scratched my head and been and told you it wasn't going well at, at all. Notwithstanding that, you know, certain market um, participants, in particular, you know, you know, some of the some of the um, industry groups like the the LSTA, which is the Loan Syndication and Trading Association, they've been really out front of this on this issue. You know, as a practitioner, um, you know, they've just they provided just a ton of information and done a really good job of getting, you know, their, their membership, um, you know, information about this transition. But until until kind of late late fall, you know, no, you know, October November, I was really pessimistic. But then things just really really picked up steam. I guess almost at the last minute, and all of a sudden, kind of in the late fourth quarter of this year, we started doing, you know, direct to SOFR loans. We, you know, it just re it really it really picked up pace, and I guess I would say now I'm I'm pretty optimistic, in the sense that you know we're doing all of our new loans in in SOFR. We're regularly converting existing um, 
existing loans from LIBOR to SOFR, uh, that the market has really just, it's just dramatic. It was kind of like everyone waited to the last minute and kind of was in denial this was happening. And then they, something, it was almost like a, a, a light switch flipped kind of in, in the late fall and everyone, everyone finally just came to the realization, oh, oh my goodness, this is really happening. And we have to take this seriously, notwithstanding that regulators and groups like the LSTA have been telling them that this was going to happen. Um, and now, now it's, you know, and I think it goes, it's a credit because I think there have been, it's a credit to the folks with it, within, you know, on the arc and within all of our clients, there's been large working groups who've been get, getting ready for this to happen kind of behind the scenes. And so now, now that it's really happening, a, a lot of our clients are really well set up to do it. And I think, I think it's going better than I ever expected. Great. Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about this subject. I know it's one that's uh, pretty important to, to, to our industry. Uh, so any insight anyone can get from it, I, I, you know, I really appreciate you bringing that to the table. Great, though. Uh, Phil, thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Dan for joining the show, and thank you for listening. By the time this episode is live, we should have just sent out our Q1 issue to our printers, meaning it will be in your inbox in the next couple weeks, with the digital issue going live around that time as well. This year's Q1 issue will focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and include our second annual feature on the top women in asset-based lending. Make sure to keep a lookout over the next few weeks for when the issue becomes available. That will do it for this episode. Thanks again for listening to the ABF Journal podcast. We'll talk again soon.